0: And this morning we're going to be talking about purity. And uh, Darren read for us Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we're going to end up. That's the end verse. So if you want to be where we're going to start, go over to Genesis 39. That's where we're going to start. And eventually, after we get through all the books, we'll get through Ephesians. You guys laugh like it's not serious. We're gonna be here a while, yeah. <laughs> no. Ah. Genesis thirty-nine. Now, just leading into Genesis thirty-nine, I'm sure a lot of you know where, where you know history is and where things are happening in Genesis thirty-nine, but just to kind of give you a little bit of backstory here, this is obviously gonna deal with Joseph. Excuse me. And Joseph has a lot of brothers and what did his brothers do to him not too long before chapter 39? Sold him into slavery. Sold him into slavery. And, and really, that's, that's even the, the kinder end to the thing, because they really wanted to do what? Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to eliminate the troublemaker, the guy that was telling them that you're going to be bowing down to me. You're going to be looking up to me. And eventually, the older brothers got irritated with being told that this little young upstart punk is going to be the one that they're bowing down to, and they didn't like that. So what's interesting, too, is is going back even further. If you go back to chapter 27, you to notice three things. From chapter 27 to chapter 38, there are three goats and three deceptions and dysfunctions that happen in all of this this family stuff. If you go back to chapter 27, you have Jacob and Esau, okay? And then we have... What about the goat? The goat happens, you you go out there and you get this animal, and you kill it for your father, and then you wear it so that you can deceive your father, and he thinks you're, you're, his brother, you think, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I can't get it out of my mouth. He's deceiving him, thinking he's Esau. Okay, there we go. So he feels the hair and he thinks he's Esau. But then you skip ahead to chapter, is it uh, 37? Chapter 37, verse 31 it's only a, couple, a chapter over there, a couple chapters over, so turn over there really quick. Here's another goat, and here's another deception, Thirty-seven, thirty-one. They took Joseph's tunic. This is after Joseph has been thrown in the well, and they said, Oh, don't, don't kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. They slaughtered a male goat, dipped the tunic in blood. Again, you have deception, dysfunction, and a goat mention. You started off there in 27, now in 37, and then in 38, another deception. This time with Judah and a goat, and a young lady that sells herself as a prostitute and is not a prostitute and is actually, it. there's a lot of dysfunction going on here, a lot of dysfunction. I'm not sure if any of you have come from a family of dysfunction, but yeah, let's put the fun back in dysfunction, but dysfunction is not fun, is it? It has been glamorized a lot on TV and, and in our culture in some ways, I think dysfunction is has been something that actually... If, if you don't have dysfunction in your family, then, then there's something wrong with you. you have a nice family that loves you and takes care of you, then there's something wrong with you. I felt that growing up, that if, if you don't have some sort of backstory that, that is really tragic, then you're not as special. If you got parents that really love you, you're not special. But here, look at, look at all this dysfunction in these families. Look at everything that is happening here. And when we're talking about purity... You go back to chapter 27 to even where we are in 39. There's a lot of impure actions happening here. There's a lot of impurity going on. There's a lot of dysfunction in, in families that, and, and men and women that say, we choose to serve God. But, man, we got a lot of dysfunction going on. we got a lot of impurity going on. And, and this, this morning's lesson about purity is not going to be, you should wear this and you should wear that. To look pure and to have this pure heart. I think that that is a part of purity. But this is not what I want to focus on this morning. Because I think that the message for purity starts deeper than just what we wear. Because what we wear is a reflection of what we believe and who we are. So that that comes with finding out who we are and what we believe. James talks about the rich man and the poor man. We can dishonor people and we can have impure actions just by saying you are worth more than this person because you look like you're made of money. I can be impure in my in my actions there with people. Peter says that the external braiding of a woman, that's not where her, her wealth lies. We could be very impure in that direction too. Again, that, that kind of comes down to dress, but it kind of says you know, what's inside is more important here than what's on the outside. James tells us in 127 to be unspotted by the world, doesn't he? He says you need to be unspotted by the world. And it is not easy to go through this world and not get spots on you. There's puddles everywhere. <laughs> There's there dirt and debris every single place on this earth. And just being a pure person for God can be a challenge. And in this world, our purity is not necessarily something, at least godly purity, is not something... That the world even thinks about or cares about, it's not on their list, but it needs to be on ours. And in Genesis 39, where we're starting out, it has been a tough life for Joseph so far, hasn't it? It's been kind of rough. It has not been the the storybook childhood. He's gotten in trouble with his brothers. His father has put a lot of emphasis on him. I think there was some dysfunction there too. His father put some so much emphasis on there that he's, he's engendered, I think, the anger of his brothers and. And he's himself has sort of fostered that anger with his brothers. And now he's ended up in Egypt. After being sold to the Midianites, he now ends up in Egypt in Potiphar's house in chapter 39. And this is where we're going to pick up with him. And we're going to look at his brief chapter 39 account and talk about purity here. All right? So, Genesis 39. He goes to Potiphar's house. And what happens? He finds favor in Potiphar's sight, doesn't it? My version says in verse 4, So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he became his personal servant. He made him overseer over the house and all that he owned, and that he put in his charge. I happen to have some actual photos of the event here, if you want to <laughs> look up there. This is the actual Potiphar talking to the actual Joseph, and this is the point where they say, Oh yeah, you're, you're a good guy. I'm going to put you in charge over everything in my house. And Joseph is... I, I'm. You ever wonder what's going through Joseph's mind? I mean, he's, he's missing his family. He's been abducted from his family. He's been, it almost killed him, but then they sold him into slavery. And now he's ended up in Egypt, foreign countries, foreign peoples, and he's a slave. But now he's got some gravitas to his slavery, I guess. He's, he's in a good position, but he's still a slave. Make no doubt about it. You, he's still a slave, although he's maybe... You know, gone up a few pegs in, in the slavery page, but he's still a slave. He's still not a free man. But Potiphar has chosen him, and he says, you're, you're a good guy. I'm going to put you in charge of everything. Look at the green screen cattle we've got here. I'm going to put you in charge of those, or the, the cattle, whatever those are, goats or lambs. Here's the camel and, and the stuff that they put him in charge of. He's, he's in charge of everything. Nothing goes by him that doesn't, I mean, nothing doesn't go through him. He is He's in charge of basically everything. In fact, look down there in verse 6. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Just stop there for a second, because I know there's a little bit more of that. But look at what he's in charge of. Everything except what Potiphar ate. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of responsibility. Now... Obviously, I think Joseph is seeing the good in this because he's, he recognizes where he's coming from and, and whose he is. And we can tell that in a minute. But God is blessing Joseph. And as, as God is blessing Joseph, who else is he blessing? Potiphar. It, it tells us that, that God is blessing Joseph and God is blessing Potiphar. Because he's blessing Joseph, he's going to bless Potiphar. It's a similar thing that he said before. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those around you because of you. He's put in charge with everything. And I want you to notice something there in the end of verse 6. It gives us a description, very brief of Joseph, but a very succinct, brief one. It says, now Joseph was what? Handsome, in form." An appearance. Now, I have no idea what that feels like to be handsome in form and appearance. But this guy apparently was handsome in form and appearance. Very beautiful. Or handsome, I guess, would be the correct term since he's a guy. Handsome. And look at verse 7. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Now, I find that interesting. We talked this morning about temptation. And, and all, all of us through the class this morning that Darren was doing, if you didn't come for class, I would encourage you to come next week. Because we're going through Genesis. Mm-hmm. And it, like Darren is saying, it's the foundation of everything. It's the beginnings. And it really sets the stage for everything else that happens. As I was sitting through class this morning, I was thinking... Man, that—that's my lesson. That's my lesson. There, there's a lot of my lesson in chapter three of Genesis, no. talking about purity and talking about temptation, talking about sin. You're going to see a lot of that in chapter thirty-nine because the story doesn't change from Genesis chapter one to Revelation. The story really doesn't change. We're, we're always tempted. We're always going to be tempted because we're human beings. We're always going to have that struggle, and Pot, or Joseph, excuse me, is having that struggle right now. And I like the fact that it says after this. She notices him. Now, I'm wondering too if it's not just because that maybe he's risen to this, or it is because he's risen to this this level in the house that he's he's proved himself very successful, very very um, efficient, and very trustworthy, and he's got this status now. And he becomes attractive to this woman. Now he's already for, handsome in form and appearance. He's already attractive, period. But he's also now risen to a level of success, even though he's a slave. And this is the point where Satan steps in and starts to say, and now, maybe now I got something here that I can, I can work with. He's got some, some clout. He's a handsome man. And those situations combine to, to maybe create this perfect storm for Joseph where he can actually start to think too much of himself. Start to think, well, maybe, maybe I do. I mean, it is flattering to have women like you, isn't it? My wife and I were talking about that on the way home yesterday and I, I it is flattering to have women like me. When, when, when you get that, that, that wink, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah, I still got it. Now I, I don't I don't get that wink anymore, but when when you were when you were dating, you know, that that wink that, that you, when you notice that woman over there and she notices you and you see that, that, that spark, that, that is flattering and it feels good. And Joseph could fall into that very easily. He could fall into that very easily. This this woman desires me. And who am I? I mean, yeah, I'm a slave, but I'm also a big-time slave here. I got some clout, and, and I'm in charge of everything in this house. Why not? I mean, who would know? If she wants you, I mean, who would know? But what does Joseph do? Now, now here's where part of, the, part of this, this purity starts to happen, because I think there's something here that Joseph has that we all need to have, and it's something that I like to call situational awareness. What is going on around you? You probably, if if you're aware of your situation as you're walking to your car at night, you, know, you, you try to be situationally aware. Who is around me? Where are things? Because at any moment, you know, something can happen. Situational awareness. And that that's the same here in chapter 39. You've got to be situationally aware of what's going on. Joseph needs to be aware. And it shows me that he is aware in some cases because... He's being raised to this level because he is aware of what's going on around him. He is working hand in hand with God. He is he is being alert. He is being active. And I think he's also being alert and active on the opposite end of the spectrum. He's also looking out for things that are going to try and take him down. The situational awareness here of man, I gotta th- I gotta find those negatives or uh, recognize those negatives to avoid. Like Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. The verse that we're memorizing from Wednesday night class, Romans 12, 2. Anybody got that memorized yet? Man, that was fast. But it was good. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Why? We're not of the world, but so that you may prove. And prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We've got to have this situational awareness. And, and being transformed, not conformed, is, is God is saying, you need to have this situational awareness. And I'm going to work with you on that situational awareness. I'm going to help transform you so that you recognize what's going on in the world. So that you not only recognize what's going on in the world, but you also recognize what I want for you. So that you may see what my will is for you. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Because you're going to see a lot that's not good, acceptable, and perfect. And I want you to avoid that. I want you to go after the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. My will for you. It's also similar to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. Where he's talking about, I, I need to teach you more about Jesus. But, but right now you can't hear it. You can't understand it. Go over to Hebrews chapter 5 and look at that. Because at the end of that, that chapter... He talks about this situational awareness. He says in verse 11, Concerning him we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. you come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now verse 14, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their what? There's senses trained to discern good and evil. There is some training involved in being a Christian. There's some training. And God is willing to work with us in that training. And I see Joseph is going through that training. And we're going through that training. We are being transformed. We are having our senses trained. We are getting ready and and learning and, and growing in our situational awareness. What's going on around us? What could be our downfall? That woman did wink at me. And that's... Not something I need to have. That man did make a pass at me. And that's not something I need. Whatever situation we're in. We need to be able to recognize those. Know your enemy. Is a good statement. I, I think I've said before. That I was teaching one class about other other religions. And a person said. We don't need to study other religions. We just need to study ours. Right. <laughs> and, I, and to a certain point. I agree with that. But. There's a good reason to know your enemy. What 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 are you teaching? What do I need to know so that I can give you a good answer for what you're going to ask me? And they said, but you know, the IRS doesn't doesn't look at fake money. They just look at real money. I, I wrote the IRS. I said, do you look at fake money or do you look at real money? And they said, we look at both. We look at both because you want to know what the enemy's doing. You got to know. We got to know you got to have that situational awareness. What is the enemy doing? Where is he going to attack? How is he going to attack? And what am I going to do when he attacks? we got to be prepared. And that's a part of being pure. That's a part of this life here that Joseph is living too. Situational awareness. Because the enemy is very smart, isn't he? He knows about us. He knows where to tempt us. He knows when to get to us. He's doing his homework. Why aren't we doing our homework? we got to have that homework done. So, what you have here is this handsome guy who is successful in what he's doing, even though he's still a slave. And this woman is now saying, I'm noticing you. And not only do I notice you, but I want you. And that leads to a lot of questions for me. Because there's something going on in their life, in Potiphar's life and her life. There's some reason that that's happening. You can't go too far into that because we don't have any, have any text on that. But there's something going on there where she is reaching out beyond what she should have and is desiring what she should not have. There's something there. And look at 3910. This something there is is leading to this constant drumbeat that is going to eventually or try to eventually wear down this man. Verse 10 says, and it came about as she spoke to Joseph. How, how many times did she speak to him in your version? What does it say? Day by day, day after day, day after day after day after day. This woman hitting on him, advancing towards him. And him, what? What does your text say? Mine says that he did not listen to her. What does yours say? He did not listen. He what? He refused. He did not listen to her, did not lie beside her. He was not with her. Man. Man. Now, here again, I think there's another key. Not only do we have to be situationally aware, he's obviously aware of what's going on at this point. And he's trying to avoid it actively in the, way, in the best way he probably can in the position that he is as a slave in this house. And he doesn't have a choice, really. So he's doing what he can do to avoid this situation. So his situational awareness is good. But it's something else he does in verse 10, that he does not entertain these ideas either. Which could be a very dangerous thing for me to do, or you to do, is to entertain the idea of doing something that is not worth doing. Reliving it, or fantasizing about it in our minds, and, and saying, well, what if I did? Well, you know, all that stuff that leads to things. Because it starts here, and it eventually ends up out here. We can entertain it, and you could easily see, Joseph... If it's, if it's happening to him day after day after day, him trying to fight hard to not entertain these ideas of sexual activity with this woman. He's lonely. No family. He's got certain quote-unquote needs, right? Well, meet your needs, man. No, those, are, those aren't real needs. Those are desires, and these desires are wrong. Again, this is this is this falls back into us and not entertaining bad things. It reminds me again of a verse that we've talked about before, Second Corinthians ten five, where Paul says, "I'm demolishing every argument that sets itself up against the pretense and the knowledge of God, and I take captive every thought, and I make it obedient to Christ." That Joseph is taking every th- captive thought, every thought captive, and he's making it obedient to what God wants him to do. And we, as Christians, as we're our situational awareness is 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 popping out there, and we're recognizing these these things that are happening. And we want to remain pure, what do we need to do? When those thoughts pop into our head, we say, I need to make that thought obedient to Christ. Does it, does it agree with Christ? Does it agree with God? If not, I'm taking that thing captive and I'm getting rid of it. I'm done with it. And again, that goes back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, doesn't it? That, that we're not just being transformed or being conformed by our minds. We're not just letting the world take over. We are being transformed by the renewing of this mind. The renewing of this mind. And that pressure there in 3910, it's gotta be, it's gotta be intense. Remember what that pressure did to Samson. Pressure eventually broke down Samson. He eventually says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. Pressure. And that's another way that Satan attacks us and attacks our purity. It also attack, he also attacks us with the next thing that she does to him. Look over there in verse 11. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and notice the situation that is developing, where his his alarm bells should be going off, none of the men were in the household. None of the men of the household were there inside. And I I would love to see the picture of him on that day. If if he looked around and he thought it's kind of strange, there's no other guys around, because there's obviously other guys around, but this day there's no other guys around, and that was a that was purposeful apparently because. This woman wanted to organize the situation to surprise him, to get him to do what she wanted. And then verse 12, she catches him by the garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment there. So she has definitely orchestrated this event to get him to lie with her. And she's at the point of grabbing him and physically taking him. Boy, that pressure. Again, you could think, well, nobody will know. Nobody but her. Nobody but me, nobody but God, and nobody but anybody else that might find out. Nobody will know. But how many times do we entertain that idea of nobody will know? It's, it's easy to do. Nobody will know. Nobody will see. God always sees, yes. God always sees that pressure. No men around, just Joseph. His situational awareness bell should be going off, but maybe he doesn't notice at first. But when she catches him by the garment, he's definitely got an idea of what's Going on that day. And at that point, what does he do? He runs away. He runs away so fast that he leaves that garment. Again, actual pictures of the actual event snapped as it happened. Yep. He left his garment that he ran, because he ran away so fast. That situational awareness caught up to him, grabbed him. You ever, you ever feel like sin ever reaches up and just grabs you? Boom. It's it's just right there. And you didn't see it coming. You didn't notice that the men weren't in the house that day. And all of a sudden, sin grabs you. I I don't know if anybody, anybody could say, no, this never happened to me. It's happened to me. All of a sudden, boom, it's right there, right in front of your face. And then you get to decide what you do. You could do what Joseph did, or you could give in to that temptation one one way or the other, and again, that reminds me of the New Testament where Paul in first thessalonians five twenty two tells Timothy, "What do you do at the appearance or the form of evil? You flee every every appearance of that evil, every appearance of evil, just the form of it. Get away from it, Run away, which is exactly what Joseph did here. He didn't listen to her. he ran away because he knew. Who he was. Look at his answer to her. When she had grabbed him, oh excuse me, back over in, in, in chapter, chapter 39 again, but back over in 7 and 8. His answer to her is the same answer that he would have given her later on had he stayed around to talk. Came after these events that his master wife, master's wife looked with desire Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to the, his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put all that he owns in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? That man's decision to do what he did later on in chapter... Or in chapter... In verse 12 and 13. Has already been made. So when it comes to the point where he's he's grabbed by this sin... He's already made the decision to take off. Because he's already said, I'm not doing this. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. And why would I sin against God? Why would I do that? The sacredness of what's around him. I think Joseph sees that sacredness of his master's things. These These are his, not mine. You're his, not mine. And I'm God's, not yours. I'm God's. I think these, all these things can, can, can lead back to Joseph's determination to do what he's gonna do. And what's interesting there, he's got his situational awareness going, he's got all of this stuff happening, he's predetermined what he's gonna do, and he does what he needs to do, but what does he get for doing the right thing? Yeah, Yeah, he goes, he goes to jail for doing the right thing. And I I wanna, I wanna point out three things that, that he gets for this. The first thing he gets is slander. He gets slandered. See, look at verse 14. She called to the men of the household. Now she wants them. Now she wants them. She said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. And when he came out, when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, that he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. Slander. So she left his garment beside her until the master came home. She spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave, whom you brought to us, came into me to make sport of me. And it happened as I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Again, slander, slander. But it's interesting, as it, I was sitting there listening to class this morning, and I was thinking of these words here, it sounds awfully familiar to that woman that you gave me. You know, I'm going to shift the blame here, which is what she's doing. She is shifting the blame. I'm, I'm trying. I'm going to slander this guy because I'd, I'm the one to blame. So let me shift it to this guy, this Hebrew slave. And it should be pretty easy to pin on him because he's a Hebrew slave. Oh, let me shift the blame. And Adam, let me shift the blame. God, not only was it her, but you gave her to me. You did this to me, God. It's not really my fault. I just I just listened to her. You gave her to me. It's your fault. And as she's saying, it's your fault. You brought this, this slave into our house. It's your fault. And it's his fault. But it's not my fault. Shifting the blame again. But that's what he gets. The first thing he gets is slander. Like like our brother said this morning in class, the devil made me do it, right? She could say, the devil made me do it. I can shift the blame and say, the devil made me do it. But what does Jesus say about being being persecuted, actually, and slandered in Matthew 5? He says, you know, if you're going to do the things that I've already said, if you're going to be this and this and this and these Beatitudes... You're going to get persecuted and bless you when you are persecuted for, for me, for my sake. When you, when you do these things and you're persecuted for my sake, that's that's when you're blessed. The stigma of his actions, at least in the worldly sense, he is now somebody who has tried to attempt to rape this woman. At least for those who believe this woman. And I'm not so sure that her husband completely believes her. Partly because of the, the punishment that Joseph gets. But again, I'm reading into some of that. Because you can read all sorts of scholars who talk about the fact that he could have gotten something far worse for what he did. But instead he gets sent to the king's prison, which is still not great. You're still a slave. You're still in prison. Joseph's life is still not great. But I'm not so sure that that his master was completely convinced that his wife was totally innocent in this event. But anyway, there's slander. But then what happens? You get the master's wrath. Because the master now has to do something. he has to send you to prison. so you get slandered and now you get to pay the price. You get to pay the price for something you didn't do. In fact, you did the right thing, but you get slandered and you get paid the, and you get to pay the price, all because you wanted to stay pure in a world that is impure. But what's the third thing that he gets? If he slandered and he pays the price, what is the biggest thing he gets here? Does anybody see it? It comes after 19. It comes after 20. Yeah. It starts, look back in 20. Joseph's Matthew put him in prison, in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. There he was in jail, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. And gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge. What? All the prisoners who were in the jail. So that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So you get slander. You get to pay the price. But you also get the mercy of God and God's blessings. Because you did what was right. God's mercy. God's blessings. And how many times does this happen to Joseph? It's already happened in Potiphar's house. It happens in jail. And then where does it happen next? Yeah, he's over everything, right? Look at that again. Three three times. He's put in charge here. He's put in charge here. He's put in charge here. Again, God showing his grace and his mercy. Every time you think something's changing, it is changing, and God works that change for his good and for his ultimate pleasure. And because of Joseph's determination to say what he said and to do what he did is where he is why he ends up where he is. It's because he's aware of the situation around him. He's aware of who he's whose he is, and he's ready to run when he needs to. But if Joseph's determination was not there, you'd see a much different story. And I was wondering this morning again, I wrote down in my notes because, man, it, it, it sang out to me again as, as Darren was teaching about Genesis. What if Adam and Eve had said the same thing? What if Eve had said the same thing to the, the serpent when he says, surely God didn't say, and she could say, look, God put us in charge of everything here, except for this one thing. And, and besides that, why would I, why would I do that? God's already told me what's good and what's not good. It, it, why don't we do that more often? God's put us in charge of all this. God's given us all of these things. Why would we? Why would we let go for that one little thing? Why would we sacrifice that one little thing? In fact, um, a, a scripture that Darren referenced. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three. It fits in perfectly with this idea of purity. He was talking about Satan again and, and talking about being deceived. 2 Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three. But I'm afraid lest the serpent deceived, lest as, as the serpent deceived by Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So easily you could be led astray from the simplicity and the purity, talking about being pure, the purity of this devotion to Christ. We can so easily drift away from these things. And thats I think it comes back again full circle to Genesis, because a lot of times when I'm tempted... Go, go over to Genesis 2. I want to point this out to you really quickly. I'm throwing all this stuff in here that came from class, but I think it fits in. And if it doesn't, just follow with me anyway. Tell me later. As I'm being tempted in the world, as, as I'm wondering why God is is not being... ...fair with me? Why he's withholding things? Because that, that's basically like Darren said this morning. He, he caused, Satan causes Eve to, to question, why does God want to deprive us of this? That's kind of what Satan is saying. He's depriving you of something you could have. This is good for you. Why, why do you let him deprive you of that? You know, why, why, why do I let him deprive Why don't I partake in this? It's because I focus on verse 17 a lot of times, and I don't focus on verse 16... And there's a tiny little word in between verse 16 and 17 that is the focus. Verse 16, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But. And that's the word that I think we focused on a lot. But. Mm -hmm. From anything you... But. But, on the other hand... On the other hand... But, why do I focus so much on that thing that I'm not supposed to have? Why do I put so much emphasis on that that but there in verse 17? Mm-hmm. Because I'm a human being and I don't have my situational awareness on. I don't have my senses tuned. I don't have my senses trained. And I haven't predetermined what I'm going to do when that but comes up. I haven't said, I'm already going to run. I'm not, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm already determining what I'm going to do here. And that's where Ephesians 1 1 through 14 fits in. And I'm going to use um, some high-tech and old-fashioned stuff at the same time because I want to make a point here. And again, I've I've made this point before probably. I, I don't know if it's old age or if it's the amount of sermons I've done, but I can't remember if I've made certain points before with you. So... I'm going to make this point anyway. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. Just smile and nod if you've heard it before and don't tell me. <laughs> now, Here's a little bit of Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. You, you go through Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 as, as our brother read it to us there. And you look at all the things that it says we are. It's a beautiful chapter where it talks about who you are in Christ. I'm sure you could find so many more things in here about who you are. We are chosen in Him. We're blessed. We're saints. We're His possession. We're inheritors. We're, we're part of that mystery. We're lavished with grace there. We're forgiven. We're sealed with that Holy Spirit. At the very end of that, He says, you're His possession. I mean, look at all those things that we are in Christ. You are all of these things. And that's why I wanted to use this board, because I think in, in, in looking at, at life and looking at, at Christian life and looking at Genesis 39, Ephesians 1, talking about purity, what God has made us is just like this, this dry erase marker. This is you and this is me right here. And look, look at what we are. Now I can I can use this thing and I can write on this piece of paper, but it's not designed to write on this piece of paper, is it? This is a dry erase marker. This is for a dry erase board. It's not designed for paper, although it writes on paper. I could write on Craig if I wanted to. <laughs> Craig, you want me? To see, you want to see that? Is that see? <laughs> but it's not designed for Craig. It's not designed for the pews. It's designed for this board, right? And when you're talking about saints and holy ones that are set apart for God's use and for God's purpose, this is what we are. We are this dry erase marker. God has made us this dry erase marker, and he set us apart for this board. And this is where we are. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is not what we are. This is not what we are. This is not where we go to draw. We draw here. We're made here. We're made for his possession. That's why Joseph was able to say, the master's got all this stuff. That's all his. But I'm God's. Why would I do that? Why would I write over here when I'm I'm supposed to be writing over here? I'm God's. And that's the same thing in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. You're saints. You're adopted. You're chosen. You're redeemed. Why would we write over here when this is where we're supposed to be? This is the purity. This is what we are. We are these dry erase markers. Sure, you can write everywhere else. But that's not what you're designed for. You're designed for him, for his use, for his purpose. And that's why you're pure. That anything added to that purity is no longer purity. You add those additives, you take away. It's not pure. God made you pure. Why would you write anywhere else? This morning, I'm going to give you that lesson. A lesson in purity. A lesson in writing. A lesson in being a dry erase marker. I don't know what color you are. But you're all a dry erase marker. And you're made for this board. Don't write anywhere else. Definitely don't write on Craig. <laughs> use God's or be used for God's purpose. Be pure. Be holy as He is holy. You're set apart. You're dedicated for God's use. Period. Let's pray as we end this lesson. Dear only Father, this morning... And thank you for the opportunity to, to look at Joseph, to look at a child of yours and, and think about his actions and his attempt to work with you and to be pure, to dedicate himself to you even in very, very tough situations, situations that I can't even empathize or sympathize with. But he's willing to to go through those situations knowing that you are his God that you will take care of him, that you will bless him, that he is yours, and he is not willing to be compromised by those things around him that are impure. And like James says, remaining unspotted by the world is is not as easy as it sounds. There are puddles everywhere in this world. Lord, I pray that we we remain pure for you, that we strive for that purity that you've implanted in us, that you've put in us with your Spirit. That we stay on the, on the path that you've created for us, that you, that you want us to be on, and that we don't turn right or turn left, that we don't write on anything else, but we, we allow you to, to train our senses, we allow you to, and work with you to have our senses trained, have our mind transformed, so that we may become more and more what you want us to be. Dedicated, holy ones set apart for your use. This morning, Lord, I I pray that we are all on that path. And if we're not, that you convict us, that you show us where we are impure. uh, Convict us of the thoughts, convict us of our actions, that we may be pure for you, that we may remain pure for you. Lord, I give you this lesson today and I give everyone here this lesson today. May we be people who are living holy and blameless lives for you that point people to your direction, that show people your Son, that broadcast to the world. We are pure because our God has made us pure. Mm -hmm. We are pure because we love you. We are pure because we follow you. No matter what this world throws at us, Mm -hmm. no matter what temptation reaches up and grabs us, we've made the decision to run we made the decision to flee. Help us to remain pure in your sight. I pray this all through your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This morning, if you need the prayers of the body, if you need help, we have this time set set forward to come before us and and fill out a card and ask for those prayers. But again, the connection card is there for you too. If you just need to fill that in, turn that in as well. Won't you stand and sing, please?